Yo, crew, welcome to the Skippy Report. Hey, crew, welcome to the Skippy Report. Second episode with a good friend way out in Eugene, Oregon, Jarl Skibum Berg. <laughs> Hey, Jarl, how's it going out there in Eugene? It's going great. All is well. Nice. Life is good. Nice. So this is uh, one of those episodes that uh, Jarl was one of the guys who coined the term gear, beer, and anything weird. So this is going to be a gear, beer, and anything (laughs) weird episode. (laughs) Cheers to that. (laughs) So Jarl and I go way back to the internet. Um, was it the year before you went to Norway when you were selling those t-shirts? Oh, at least, at least. Yeah. That'd be like 18 years ago, I think, or 19 years ago. Crazy. Yeah. So Jarl and I, uh, (laughs) we met that way on a, uh, web site called Telemark Tips and, uh, he was hawking his, uh, merch and he had these wicked shirts (laughs) said had a skier on the front and it says the thighs are evil they must be punished and then on the back it said telemark i bought a yeah. few of those and uh, that's <laughs> how we started our relationship uh so Jarl, give us a little bit of background about uh where you live how long you've lived there probably lived there all your life <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's all perspective it depends how you look at it but basically yeah i've lived there my whole life so uh yeah so i'm Jarl Berg. Um, born and raised in Eugene, Oregon, uh, you know, second generation in America. My uh, grandpa was born and raised in Norway. My grandma, I guess, technically her parents were born and raised in Norway, but then moved to America, at least on dad's side. And then mom's side's Irish and Scottish and who knows what else. So um, born and raised in a ski shop. Uh, so I've, I've been around the ski industry my whole entire life. My grandpa started the ski shop in 1955. And, uh, kind of the rest is history. Cool. Your, your dad's ski shop has an interesting start, right? It wasn't always a ski shop. It wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, my grandpa first owned a gas station that he opened in 1940, uh, which closed in 1988. But, uh, yeah, so we had shell oil for almost 50 years. Nice. Now, what is the story you told me when I was out visiting you? going to be three years ago. Can you believe that? And, no, uh, seriously. about how your dad was a young entrepreneur and, uh, was it your grandfather who said, Hey, we should start a ski shop or something like that. It was my grandpa. So my dad was, was in high school still. So he was in like early teens actually. And, uh, grandpa came home one day after going to Ashland to go visit uh, the other, my grandma's side of the family. They went up skiing at Mount Ashland, learned how to ski down there and really fell in love with it. They came back. They've gone back and forth a few times. Grandpa finally, uh, after the war, you know, the government's giving grants, giving money away to, for people to do something active and get outside, not sit inside by the radio or TV to and wait for the next war to come. Kind of like what happened with 9-11. Um, they just they wanted people to get outside and do stuff. So he's like, well, let's start a ski shop. They bought the building next door, like what's called the Henderson House, was built in the 1800s, and uh, and started a ski shop. Went to Norway uh, for their and bought like got their first order in Norway of skis. They shipped them over, and yeah, really a rental fleet, and and, yeah. and and your dad pretty much ran the shop, or 
Well, actually, another shop had closed in town. And so my grandpa was smart enough to hire those guys on, the other ski shop, hired those guys on to come work at our shop. And, and then when my dad was old enough, he, you know, started working at the shop. You know, he, I mean, he worked in the gas station as a kid and then worked in the ski shop. And then, and then once he got out of college and out of military service, well, he didn't get out of military service until like 10 years ago, but, um, yeah, he just, just naturally just that took us to got in the ski shop, him and his brother. Wow. That's crazy. And when, and when, when did that get started? 1955. 19, and it's still rocking. Still rocking. And he's still there every day. Really? And your brother pretty much runs yep. it now? Uh, he's involved with it. Oh yeah. yeah. He's a, he's one of the boot fitters. Cool. Cool. Now you have yeah. to give me a little bit of background on your family. Cause Sean and I were talking cause you were out snowboard or your nephew was snowboarding with you. And I remember in the fall, uh, when it was your dad's birthday that your other brother and he came out and there was plans for him because of COVID just to stay out West and work in the shop or something like that. Totally. He's, he's doing essentially what his dad did. So, which is pretty hilarious because that's how I partly of the telemark story for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he decided to quit school for a while and decided to move out, move out West to the work at the ski shop. So my, my brother, my middle brother, I guess, Jeff, his son, Owen decided to come out here and, and just work the shop and kind of figure out what he's going to do with his life. Oh, nice. And to figure this is a great way to do it. So you and your brother who works, I can't remember your brother's name who works at the shop. Sven. Sven. So mm-hmm. you have a brother in between you guys? I know you guys are twins, but. <laughs> I, well, there's, so there's four of the boys. Oh, four. Okay. JP is the oldest, then Jeff, then Sven, then me. Okay. I'm the baby. Uh, by like how 12 many? minutes, but oh, I'm the okay. baby. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, it matters, man. <laughs> I guess so, eh? <laughs> they, they, I, I, was yep. ju- I just heard a comment on a TV program and, and it was dealing with the youngest person in their family, just like yours. They had an older brother, twins, and then a baby. And they said, yeah, they made the perfect one with me. So they stopped and they broke the mold. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, I, I was, we'll call it the unwanted child, but I didn't even know I was coming until <laughs> the doctor said, Oh, there's another one coming. No way. Like literally. Didn't yeah. know your mom was pregnant <laughs> with twins and didn't know you, she was pregnant with you. They didn't do ultrasounds back then unless right. there was a problem. Right. There oh. was no problem. That's insane. So. That's insane. Yep. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, a, a little more history here. Uh, so skiing. So it's in your blood. Yes. Probably started Definitely. skiing when you were two years old. Uh, I think my parents waited until I was three and a half or four. Okay. They waited way too long, but. Right. You're, well, I tried to make up for it. That's exactly what I was just going to say. So <laughs> people, people who don't know Jarl, he's a huge on snow fanatic because you don't Indeed. just telemark ski. You'll do whatever's out there. You've snowboarded, alpine skied. Anything else? Toboggan, sled? Uh, I, mean, I know how to skate ski. I know how to cross-country ski. I have snowshoes. Um, ice skate. I love to ice skate. I spent a good two years on ice skates. Um, after school almost every day for years. Right. So, and then got inline skates and then that, man, I went nuts with that for a while. I was on a speed skating team. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And, and so, uh, because you and I are telemark skiers, uh, maybe yes. you can, uh, give us a little bit of history about how you, uh, moved towards telemark skiing. So I was a senior in high school. I was doing just enough dumb stuff on Alpine 
And then my dad said, hey, we're going to this demo this year. I want you and your brother to go, but I want you to try and uh, go out with our friend, our guru, our, our Nordic guru, and he's going to teach you how to telemark ski because we're going to start selling this stuff called telemark equipment next year. And I'm like, sure, it's a Norwegian thing. Okay, I've heard of it before. I think I know what it is, you know. And I went up with our with our Dick Bershern, who is still working from the ski shop a little bit, even though COVID has kind of shut that down. But because uh, he's older and got some health issues, but uh, yeah, he took me took me and Sven under his wing, and I was smitten from day one. I was just so enthralled with the, the sport and the turn. And we had an LL Bean rep there that was on like cross skinny cross country skis, flying through the moguls, just ripping turns. And then another one of our reps was the K2 and Bolay rep, uh, Terry Shershaw. I mean, those guys took me under the wing and showed me the ropes and gave me some great hints on how to get going. And uh, I, w- I went nuts. I mean, I, I and my my heart to Mike Curlish from Black Diamond, um, he handed me my first telemark boots at the demo, like plastic boots, the scarpers had just come out, you know, like the plastic stuff. And, uh, and I mean, that was like the start of our friendship for life uh, until he passed away two years ago. And, um, so, and so that, that's, there's some really sweet memories with that too. But, uh, yeah, so it was all, all because of a demo, all because my dad said, Hey, you need to go try this thing nice. and, uh, changed my life. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Pretty cool. Now, when you started, did you start right out on plastic boots or were you on leathers? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so I, I got plastic boots for that day. And from my Alpine background, that made, I was like, okay, this, this seems natural, right? Uh, other than the bellows were not natural, but everything else was natural. Then I had to go back to work and back to my normal skis and try and go, okay, now what do I do? Because I just, you know, I have to wait till next year to get my boots right. when they come in stock. Um, so I actually went to, I'd go to REI and rent some leather boots and then took my brother's skis that he used in Crescent Butte that he left after he, after his year in Crescent Butte, he went to Minnesota and, you know, went to school and all that stuff, got married, da, da, da. I took his skis, K2J gyrators, and had some Volé uh, bindings on there and just took them up to Mount Hood with leather boots and just <laughs> went and spent a couple of days skiing and trying to learn how to, how to make turns. When when you're on leather equipment, man, I I learned on plastic, uh, plastic boots and shaped skis. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what I wanted, I wanted to get, you know, straight skis and, uh, leather boots. I I grew up as a Nordic skier and I had never heard of telemark until, uh, you know, much later in life I was 40 and, uh, it's like, you know what, I'll get these leather boots and stuff and. You know what I, I learned? You can't carve straight skis very much. You get this <laughs> chatter. It's like blowing a tire, you know? And uh, Totally. And I, I would teach on Wednesday nights, and I had this one client. He had never been on plastic boots. So he came out on plastic boots. He rented them from our fleet. Had a good time. He says, I love this, but I'd really like to take lessons on my leather equipment. Can you do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah only if I can use my leather equipment. So... He says, yeah. So the next week I gave a lesson in modern equipment. And then 10 minutes later, I had to switch over to leather boots and straight skis. And you know how they say instructors are never supposed to fall. (laughs) 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 That was, well, I'm a bad instructor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I always say if you're not falling, falling, you ain't trying. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> so after, after a couple of falls, it's like, right. Okay. You got to smoosh the turn and, and yeah. So it was, uh, I like, I like getting Squeeze that melon, man. Squeeze that melon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I know uh, Josh Madsen. He's uh, quite a proficient skier on leather boots and straight skis. Oh my goodness, he, he is he just definitely. I've, I've seen it in it. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so we've been talking a little bit about Telemark. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a history of when you went to Norway. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so I grew up going to Norway. So with my dad, one great thing about my dad and, and his dad, his dad, I mean, he was born and raised there. So all of his, his brothers and sisters and all the family was there and all the cousins and you name it. So, um, so thankfully, my dad kept that tradition alive. Uh, for years, it was because we had four boys. My dad would take two of us at a time. Usually it was my twin brother, Sven, and I, and then my brother, Jeff, and JP would go. Um, but at some point, people started getting tired of going to Norway, which is insane if you think about it. But um, so it started being just being me and my dad. My dad was like, so I'm going to Norway. You come with me? I'm like, uh, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I just went for years. And what was neat about that is I, you know, we all have cousins that, you know, I have cousins here in town I never talked to. Right. But I have cousins in Norway that I've literally have lived with for weeks, if not like a month at a time. And so that relationship is there that that's more than just a, a family relationship. It's a it's a true deep friendship right. that you that you grow. Um, so we're super blessed. I mean, it's it's we we've gone on vacations together. We met my cousin uh, Tron Vita and his wife Ruth Brigetta in, in Nice in South France and spent a week together in France and um, they've come here to America. That was, that's a funny one because uh, my cousin Tron, came and like on a, it was a Friday night, Saturday morning, we were in the car to the Mount Ashland telemark race. No way. The, the, um, yeah, the telly lizard. So and he was so jet lagged and so tired, but we had, we had so much fun. Nice. <laughs> and it was the first time I'd ever been. And so we didn't know you're supposed to wear costumes. Oh, like I just didn't know because it'd right, never right, been right. before. Right. It was, so I had like a kiss me. I'm Norwegian t-shirt on and he, I don't know what we did with him, but we both like tried to figure something out. Right. Right. Cool. Never made that mistake again. Okay? Oh, I had so right. many awesome costumes. There. Nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and talk about costumes. Really- we're uh, cause this is a uh, gear beer and anything weird. So we're both enjoying some beer. And uh, Jarl's drinking it out of his, uh, what do you exactly call that? Drinking horn. Drinking horn. Viking drinking horn. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> and he's drinking, Tough. and what are you drinking from Ninkazi? I'm drinking a Ninkazi Slayer Winter Ale. Nice. Super yummy. And I've got yeah. a barrel-aged Doppelbach beer from Walkerville Brewery mm. going on. Nice, dark, yummy. strong beer. What do you usually say about really strong beers? One and done. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> One and done. Right, exactly. That's totally. how strong these are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if it's like a ten percent beer. This isn't that high, thankfully. Right. But, yeah. I, I heard a great story. I was uh, picking up some wood because I'm going to be making a black walnut table, and uh, the guy who had all the wood, he said uh, he'd been um, playing hockey in the league, and there was a new guy on the team, and they went to a local brewery. The guy wasn't too familiar with craft beer, so he goes, well, bring me uh, a Coors, Coors Light. And the lady said, uh, we don't serve that here. He goes, well, bring me something like that then. That, you know. So when she brought all the beers, then she served them up a glass of water. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'd love to be able to do that to somebody. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. 
totally. <laughs> yeah. So on on um, Jarl's drinking horn and on his ball cap, he's got a crest and sticker, Hoodoo Mountain or Hoodoo Ski Resort. Yep. Uh, so whereabouts yeah. is Hoodoo in relation to Eugene? Uh, it's on the Sanian Pass on the way to Mount Bachelor or Bend. There's two ways to go. You can go past Willamette Pass on Highway 58, which is another ski area for us, or Hoodoo is on, on 126 or Sanian Pass. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful area. It's, you know, it's getting into that Eastern Oregon sort of feel of desert and like right, we're right on the crest there where it goes into the desert land. Um, just, I mean, literally right past Hoodoo, you get, you hit desert. So um, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, I know. Can you just imagine in about two weeks from now, Sean and I would have been making our way out west to you guys. Seriously. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so hope hopefully, a little sad. hopefully next year we can uh, do this. Everybody's uh, trips are on hold. Totally. Yeah, we're ready for you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm we, interested. We got we have 32 RV spots at Hoodoo there, so it's. Uh, That's what I was just going to say is RV Lane. <laughs> so describe what RV Lane is like. Uh, RV Row is what we call it, okay. and uh, they do like chili cook-offs every year and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, normally, it's awesome. This year, because of COVID, it's definitely shut down most of the parties and the fun that happens on RV Row. But, uh, um, yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's everything you'd, you'd want it to be in a winter environment like that. You literally can ski down the mountain and ski right to your trailer. Killer. Nice. nice. Now, how cold yeah. how cold does uh, it get at Hoodoo? Um, you know, it's usually in the upper 20s in, uh, in, the, you know, in the middle of the night, and then it gets into the 30s during the day okay. is the average. Yep. Yeah, because uh, a lot of the ski resorts up here, it's like, you know, it's in the minuses. Right, right. <laughs> we, we, I remember one day with Finn, and Finn was maybe four or five years old, and it was one of those days at Hoodoo. And, oh, my gosh, we did, like, three runs, and then I looked down at Finn. You could just see it, like, are you ready for hot cocoa? And he's like, yeah, ready for hot cocoa. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you can just hear it in his voice. I've only had one day like that. Like most people who ski with me know that I generally just wear sunglasses. And I was skiing mm-hmm. at Burke Mountain, uh, the National Ski Academy. And mm-hmm. it was so cold. With the wind chill, it was minus 60. And I had, I had something over my face and I had my goggles on. Like I, you know, it's cold when I'm, (laughs) when I'm dressed up like that. And as we were going up. Like when you're wearing pants? Yeah. Yeah. For (laughs) for people in podcast land, I wear shorts all the time, but I do put pants on when I'm snowshoeing or skiing or something like that or working in construction. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> but it was so cold story. riding that chair you could just feel the cold wind on our back just just creeping right into your bones it was crazy and that was a three one three run day go have some hot chocolate and then back out for mm-hmm. a couple more runs yeah and i had a buddy who showed up <laughs> who forgot his goggles so he was skiing without goggles or sunglasses so it's like dude i got an extra pair of goggles here use these yeah, yeah. no you can't you'll like freeze, freeze your, your eyeballs. eyeballs that's not good that's right that's right. Not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, as we're interviewing, or I'm interviewing Yarl, we're doing this through uh, Facebook Messenger so we can see each other. And behind mm-hmm. Yarl, 
this is how much of a ski fanatic he is. I, I actually see some skis that I have, those wooden skis over your left shoulder. So he's got a little museum going on. Yeah. So <laughs> tell do. us tell us a little bit about your museum you have. Um, I, well, I just love skis. And I love collecting, especially unique skis. Uh, I love bindings and I love just the history and all kinds of fun stuff. So, gosh, um, I've got a pair of Phil Mayer's race skis from the Olympics. Like I actually confirmed with him. I actually sent him, sent him messages back and forth and, and sent him photos. And he's like, yep, those were definitely my race skis from the Olympics. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so these K2s, which you can't see at the moment, but right. uh, I've got Howard heads. So you know, the first skis he made were all aluminum top sheets. Right. Because that's what he knew how to use. Right. Right. He didn't know how to work with wood. And so, uh, so, and most of those broke. So this is a super rare ski because it, I mean, most, almost every single one of these broke. And this is where the head standard was born out of was this metal top sheet ski that wow. almost none survived. Right. Right. Uh, so it's a fun kind of piece of that history. Right. Uh, I see lots of, own, lots of wood skis with the rat trap cable binding. Oh, oh yeah. I see a, um, a snurfer. You have, I have a snurfer. Yes. And for those people who don't a, know what a snurfer is, it's uh, <laughs> it almost looks like a short water ski, a little wider, and it's got a rope on it, right? And you hang on to it on the way down. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's got staples in it, so you can stand on the staples to hold your feet in place. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Jarl's holding it up right now. It's not much larger than a um, a long a skateboard, longboard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, what, what's the vintage on that? Um, This would be 60s. Wow. Yeah crazy to imagine you know yeah i know i've been to the burton factory outlet in uh in uh, vermont in burlington vermont and they have some of jake burton's early snowboards oh, it's crazy cool. oh yeah and they look just like that snurfer yeah 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 the shop has a few of those because ryan's collected those through the years oh cool bottom or well, wherever he got them all from but yeah no, it's fun it's fun to to research the history and understand the different companies and weird skis like magnesium skis and you know just what the different ideas that people had through the years of how to design and build a ski right it's pretty crazy yeah and and you know it's it's really crazy cuz if you know the history of skis and how the norwegians mm -hmm. if you know like Sondre Norheim how they were making yeah. shaped skis back in the 1860s yeah and then, totally. and and then for totally. some strange reason we went away from that into straight skis you know i could understand right. the binding change because uh i always like to call the what the alpine skiers use the safety binding because they didn't feel safe right. with a free heel right no yeah uh, yeah and birch was not the best material for making bindings you know, right it wasn't yes birch yeah. root <laughs> right yes yeah yeah i know i was just listening to josh madsen's podcast this week and he was talking, uh, you know, doing the historical stuff about Telemark and the turn and where it came from and, and Sondra totally. Norheim and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it was, uh, I learned a few more things from him. I don't use my lurk correctly, according to at least Sondre and the way he used it, but oh well, I'm yeah. happy with it. I, I, I use, <laughs> I, and for people who don't know what a lurk is, it's a long single ski pole and uh, the tribes, the northern tribes used to use it to propel themselves along. Cause from what I've read is that the, mm -hmm. it was like a pike because that's how they would hunt their uh, food yep. in the winter because they were more, more mobile than yep. the animals trying to get through the deep snow. So they were able to ski upon them, stab them, 
and uh, they found it as totally. a as a good uh, device to help propel them through the forest and and then from what I've read, it was the Finns who said, uh, "Why don't we use? Why don't we break this in half and uh, make two poles?" I don't know if you know anything about when <laughs> the two pole skiing technique came along. That was up until like the mid 1800s that that was still not totally accepted in like ski racing in in Christiana really? and other parts of Norway and Tromso and stuff like that. Yeah, they there were like disagreements on whether you were allowed to even race with two poles versus a single pole. Really? And it wasn't allowed in certain races. Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. <laughs> so, I know I I think I think when you were doing your presentation to the Sons of Norway Lodge Tamberley Freeman, we were talking about the yeah. lurks, and I, I, I showed a picture of the U.S. ski team. Uh, I think I sent it to both you and her, and uh, yeah, back in the late 1800s, and there they are with like these five or six foot lurks. For sure. Yeah. The Norwegian military, it was shoulder, like nose to shoulder length was the, the legal size, the proper sizing for your lurk. Okay. And that was up until the mid-1900s. Really? Huh. So they they still were used. I mean, they even still use a lurk at some place, some places. But right, right. I, I wonder if they would use like the technique would be like when you're doing a single pole when you're uh, Nordic skiing. Probably it makes sense. Yeah, you know, because because my lurk is so long. I I, my, I first got mine because I had uh, broken my hand really badly uh, skiing with oh, our yeah. our ski club at school, and so I was casted up. My three outer fingers were casted up, and just my index finger and my thumb were free and. I don't know how I got this guy's name, Matt Welsh from Maine, Pownall, Maine, and he made the uh, the telly stick, which was a fiberglass stick that came apart. And I think my lurk that I bought from him is about eight and a half, nine feet long. Wow. Yeah. So when wow. I when I would be skiing with it, all my friends who are alpine snowboarders, they're like, "Okay, Keith, you go down first, because they said everybody just moved out of the way. <laughs> totally, totally. And then they would drop in behind me. Yeah. yeah. I first learned about the lurk. I I really think it was Telemark Tips is where I first learned about the lurk because oh, really? I'd never well, heard maybe of that. that's where I did too. Yeah, <clears throat> and I uh, I tried different like wooden oh. sticks. I tried bamboo. I tried conduit of all things. Oh really? <laughs> I tried so many things. Conduit bent so quickly. I was like, oh nope, that's not going to work. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I, then went... I found this rent random bush at, our, at one of our rental properties and it was like the perfect size the perfect stiffness like it actually had some flex to it and i've been using that ever since oh cool yeah so my my no idea. my lurk comes apart so that it's easy transport up the uh the ski lift that's nice yeah but i was uh, we were going end of season doing something up at one of the resorts and a buddy of mine said hey bring your lurk because he had been uh, racing in the uh, telemark world cup in norway a few years ago in rukan i'm gonna say it's got to be more than 10 years ago. Anyways, I said, oh, I don't have it. He goes, well, go outside and get a tree. So I, my <laughs> sister, I went out in my sister's backyard because I was at her house that night. And uh, I said, Deb, what can I cut down out there? She goes, oh, there's all these Norway maples. Help yourself. So that was pretty, pretty nice. appropriate. So I went out, got a Norway maple that's about two and a half inches in diameter and about eight feet long. <laughs> yeah, nice. my, my favorite story is Dave and I are skiing with our lurks and these 20 something, um, snowboarders turn and look at us and go, what are those? And I was like, we're the snowboard hunters. And they said, ah, you can't catch (laughs) us. So they got on the chair ahead of us and we caught them. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So whenever I'm skiing and and kids at ski hills and that they're in lessons and they look at me and I'll go over and talk to them and 
somebody always says, well, what's that? And I went, I'm the snowboard hunter. He said, if you don't like snowboarders, follow me. <laughs> I'll clear your path. <laughs> yeah. I'm amazed how many people actually don't, like how do they don't see me every weekend with my lurk? And they're like, well, like how do they not figure out that, that this weirdo is up here every weekend skiing with the same stick? What, what's not weird anymore? Right. <laughs> Normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually use mine as a real good teaching device because, you know, I use mine on the out suite, outside of the turn. And so I was right. uh, helping a friend and he was having a hard time with the separation in the body. And I said, here, try mm -hmm. my lurk. And as soon as he tried my lurk, boom, he got the technique and he's like, I got to get me one of these. So I uh, <laughs> hit my friend up, Matt, and got him a lurk. That's awesome. Yeah. My wife got to lurk for a few, at least a few turns this weekend. Oh, really? That was awesome. Nice. Yeah. She finally figured it out like one of her last turns. She was like, this is just too much to deal with. And so went back to ski pole. Oh, right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you have a son, Finn. I do. And how old is Finn? Yeah. Finn is 10 years old. 10 years old. It's awesome. Yeah. He's your, awesome. he's your best buddy, right? He really is. I mean, in so many ways, he just is. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I love having a son. I love that. Well, I love having a child period. So it's great. Yeah. And, uh, does he telemark? Good question. Uh, he was spent almost two seasons on telemark gear cause he had long story short, he was, you know, grew out of boots. And so, but I had telly boots for him. So he just put those on. He's like, Oh, those are fine. And got into telly gear and went skate. Nice. He didn't do a whole lot of telly turns in that year and a half or right. two years, but, right. um, he would do a lot of like where for our gone flats cruising, he would drop down into a telly kind of telly's, you know, tuck. Um, so he had fun with it, but, and that's, I never pushed it. I never, you know, forced him into it. He'd try telly turns from time to time. Cause he'd just watch me and then try and do the same thing. Right. But it was great. Yeah. I, I, I think that could be, you know, a, a good hit for parents out there when they're, uh, trying to get kids to try some of the sports that they're doing is just don't push them in the sport. Just, just let them do it. Cause I think we were following the same thread on the telemark forum where somebody had talked about how do you get your kids uh, to do telemark and that sort of stuff. And they were talking about it. And then, you know what, my, my, I had one daughter who is an Alpine skier, a telemark skier. She's got freestyle snowboard and then she used to race Alpine snowboards. And my other <laughs> daughter, she's a skier and she's a, a snowboard instructor she had no interest in telemarking yet when, and we all Nordic ski too. When we're out Nordic <laughs> skiing, there she is going down little hills, trying to figure out how to do a telemark turn. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying anything, but she's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then she's doing all these face plants, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And they're done that. <laughs> right. Right. Totally, then they're done that. Uh, that's the advantage Man. of uh, telemark skiing. You get more quality face shots because you're closer to the ground. You do. You yep. do. All that powder in your face, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> choking, choking on snow. Oh, my gosh. Man, when I first learned, was learning to telemark ski, and powder was my nemesis. Oh, really? I could not ski powder. Oh, geez. It was so bad. Right. I, I remember. I got there eventually. But. Yeah, I remember going and visiting Josh, and we hit the first day at Alta. It was like East Coast Day. You know, hard pack, <laughs> nice and sunny. The next day was powder over our boots. He says, oh, come with me. And so they take me in the trees and they're like, oh, right, dude, you're on East Coast skis, man. You don't have big powder, big wide skis. And I had his skis. I bought, <laughs> I bought the first pair of his switchblades that he made. 
Oh it's yeah. Like, oh totally. yeah. So it's like, you know what? I'm cool. I'm going to do the granny way and I'm just going to ride the groomers in this like, you know, boot deep powder. You guys have fun in the trees <laughs> and we'd get to the bottom at the same time. It's like, yeah, I'm cool with that. <laughs> that works. Yeah. <laughs> it totally works. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first <laughs> time I had ever wiped out and actually choked on snow. It's just like choking on water. Oh, it's gosh. crazy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And there's snow so dry. It's just like, it like, Oh yeah. Suck it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We don't, we don't have that good very often. Oh no. What is yours? Like cement? Cascade concrete is what we call it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, slurpiness. <laughs> we get some good days, but it's yeah, it's just not that often. Right, and then <laughs> and then we have ice out here. Right, exactly. The ice coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's a there's a, a ski company out here, and I have some of their gear and stuff, and their their uh, company moniker is uh, "Born from Ice." Ice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wore my uh, ski ski the east uh, shirt today actually. Oh, did you the dress shirt with all the skiers on it? Oh, did you? I got that. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. I wore that. Wore that to work. Oh, nice. <laughs> all right. So, uh, getting back to your heritage, you belong to Sons of Norway. That's I a do. lodge. So, I do. yeah, give us a little bit of detail about that. Yeah. Well, and even crazier is some people actually nominated me for vice president of the lodge this year. So I'm technically the vice president now. <laughs> so, is, that, is that why you were um, running that, um, that meeting when I dropped in to listen to your talk about Telmark? No, that was just one of our monthly meetings. Oh, okay. And I was, I was the cultural presentation for that month. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, so my, my grandparents, uh, so the Sons of Norway's been around for 125 years, um, and it started actually as a, we'll call it an insurance company for a better way, no, there's no better way to say it really, for Norwegian immigrants um, to help each other out, right? When, when things were hard and um, they need insurance, that they, they will just be a bunch of Norwegians and help each other. Um, and then through that, the lodges started and it became a fraternal organization. And, and uh, so move forward to 1938 when we decided to start our lodge in Eugene, Oregon. Now, my grandparents had just gotten married. And uh, so they helped charter the, the first Sons of Norway Lodge, the Sonia Lodge here in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, were involved, you know, throughout their life. And I went to a few events with my grandma through the years. And, nice. and then eventually I wanted to get more involved. Right. And, so I joined as a member, and and then my dad joined after me, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a member first. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, so is, uh, is Sons yeah. of Norway all across America or? All across the world. Really? Yeah, we're all over the place. Oh, wow. That's cool, I man. I feel like we have 80 or 90 lodges around the world, something like that. Really? Based in Minneapolis, but yeah. Wow. Huh. It's hard to imagine, but yeah. Yeah, and, and so have they pretty much developed into cultural centers now? They really are. I mean, we, our job is to keep the culture of the, I mean, it's funny because my cousins in Norway say we're more Norwegian than them right. um, because of some of the stuff we do at the lodge, but uh, all the traditions and everything. Right, but right. Uh, yeah, no, we're just, our job is to kind of keep the culture alive when, and, and those people that are from Norway to have a place where they can come and meet other people and care about that heritage and that family and, right. you know, sing the songs and sing the dinner prayer and all those things. Right. Right. That, that's, it's, that it's sounds really like fun. up in Thunder Bay where Sean is from, uh, there's a huge Finnish population and a lot of totally. the uh, Finnish men would work out into the bush and they'd come into town on weekends and they would stay at the Hoito 
and there'd be uh, lodging. It was kind of like a YMCA, Finnish YMCA. Yeah. And then there'd be a restaurant and a coffee shop downstairs. Make the best pancakes, these gigantic Finnish pancakes. Ah. Yeah, all across Canada. If That'd you go awesome. to Thunder Bay, you talk about the Hoito and people who've been there. Yeah, the Hoito, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is it still there? It has just closed down in the last year or two, unfortunately. Just oh. like anything else, you don't have people who want to step forward and continue, Yep. you know, the volunteers, right? It's always the same four or five people. Yo, you're, you're yep. slow. That's, that's why you were nominated for vice president. Everybody he said, step forward and everybody stepped back and you were Bingo. standing there, right? <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> that is almost 100% it. Right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm like that yep. too, or it's, you know, I, I, I haven't learned yet to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, no, I mean, like with so the president of the lodge, we lost our vice president two years ago. Now he died young. Um, so um, our vice president, our president's been without a vice president for two years. And finally, I was like, if you need someone to step up, right. I don't, I, I, I see myself doing this 10 years from now. Right. I didn't see myself doing this right now. I just, I'm not in that space. Yeah. Um, but I said, you can't do this alone. If no one else is going to step up, I will step up. Right. And so no one else stepped up. So here I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, and, I love it. And they do all sorts you know? of different crafts. And what was we that? I, I, I was, when I was watching the lodge uh, meeting that you were running and uh, they were handing out awards for the needlepoint right. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, the hand arbeit, the the hand heavy work, um, you know, awards. Right. Yeah, so we have wood, wood, woodworking. Normally we have woodworking. We have language classes. We have dance classes. We have art classes. Like Rose Malling is one right. of the other classes that, that our president runs. Um, we've got lots of fun stuff that happens. We're starting a Viking Life class next month. So uh, that all happens via Zoom. Cool. During COVID. Right. Yeah. But yeah. outside of COVID. It would just, you guys would have meetings at the lodge? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Okay. So we just moved everything online and now we have happy hour every Friday. Right. You can bring a drink of some sort and right. hang out with other lodge members. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You figure it out, right? Yeah. 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 I know it'll be great when uh, the COVID era is over. I look forward to it. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> I know. I know. Because one of the things we we're going to talk about is how we actually met in person. When Sean and I retired, I we went out west uh, through Canada, <laughs> came home through the U.S., and we, uh, Sean and I met up with uh, you and Janine and Finn at Mount Angel, the Oktoberfest. Yep, you got it. Yeah. What's my favorite yeah. song again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, should, I wish I had that queued up right now because that would be so great. <laughs> got to have a little meal in your life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Every Sweet single Caroline. Oct- oh, uh, there bum, you go. Bum, bum. <laughs> Every Oktoberfest <laughs> band there played that song yeah multiple times multiple times <laughs> yeah yeah and i was like are you kidding me and so every time everybody would make a big fuss about the song still do and wherever and wherever i am in the world i send it to you when i hear it <laughs> yeah and i i do the same thing to you <laughs> totally <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> yeah. The song that you hated, now you can't lie and say that you actually like it. Oh, well, I never hated it. It was just, oh, again? <laughs> like, isn't there any other I know, music? I know, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Germans, man, they're crazy people. 
They yeah, are. so my wife is born and raised in Germany. Right. That's where that connection comes from. Okay. So that's why I own lederhosens and all kinds of other stuff. I think you just like to dress up. <laughs> well, hey, how did I lose a big air contest one year? I was in a kilt. Oh. I to spread eagle the crowd. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> I lost that year. <laughs> well, it's good that you wore the kilt regimental. Yeah, I, I think there's only one way. That's right. Man, but don't fall on the race course. I had so many raspberries on my legs. Oh, really? One turn that was wrong, and I just went down. My skis let off from underneath me in the icy race course. Yeah. That wasn't pretty. Oh, that would hurt. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Mm. And I lived. Yeah. I went back to race another day. <laughs> That's uh, the only racing I've ever done with Telly. Oh, really? Never alpine. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've never alpine race. However, I have trained with alpine racers because there aren't any opportunities to yeah. uh, practice telly racing. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yara's yeah. looking over the list of questions I sent her. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you send me? Oh, yeah, free bikes for kids. Oh, yeah, that's right. So when we were visiting Yara, yeah. Eugene is a, is a big cycling hub. So it's the home of Bike Friday. It's the home of Burley mm -hmm. Bicycles, Burley Trailers, Commotion. Because I ride, I ride commotion bikes. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's an, another reason to come back here. Yeah. So you can meet Duan. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Tell you, take go out on a ride with Duan would be awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd like that too. So tell us about your bike organization you have for kids. Yeah. So I, I sit on three boards of directors: Ski Oregon, Sons of Norway, and then Free Bikes for Kids. And uh, Free Bikes for Kids is awesome because we. Um, you know, even in COVID era, it, which was definitely a huge shift for us on how to make this possible, we still got to give away 180 bikes or something like that this year. Nice. Uh, just, just the Eugene chapter. There's, a, it's based in Minneapolis, uh, just like the Sons of Norway. Um, they gave away like 10,000 bikes in a year. It's insane. Wow. But, uh, we're a much smaller town. So I'll just say 170 is awesome or 180 is awesome. Um, but, you know, we, we got about 230 bikes that were donated to us uh, over a couple different events that we put together. Um, one of the people that are on the board that I sit with is Dewan Shepard, who is the owner of Comotion and is an amazing, amazing guy. And uh, super thankful to be working with him because he's just so great. Uh, the other people that, that who run the board are the owners of Burley. Okay. So uh, yep. they're the ones, ones who started it. So uh, the Eugene chapter, at least. And yeah, it's great. I mean, so how we do is we collect bikes. People donate bikes to us at different donation events. Right. And then we take them back and we, we do fix at nights where we fix them. So we do some fundraising to buy parts to bring these bikes back to life again, clean them up, get them running as close to new as possible. And then we turn around and then do the donation side of things, working with local nonprofits. And because uh, we, we don't know all these kids, there's no way we could know all these kids. Right. So we work with a bunch of local nonprofits to get these kids, these bikes to the right kids, you know, and, and get them to good homes. Nice. And, and it's, it's really great. interesting. I've so seen great. some photos that you have to set up the workstations for people. Oh my gosh. During COVID. For COVID. Time. Yes. Well, so I was in charge of that. The good or bad, I lost my job this summer. And so I had the opportunity to, to run all of those events. And it was so, it was the biggest challenge ever. And I loved every minute of that challenge because, you know, I believe in science. I think it's important to be safe in all this, right. but we had work to do. Yeah. We still had kids that needed bikes. Right. And so, um, you know, you just, you figure it out. And we did. And it went really smoothly. It went really well. We, we had fun. 
I tried to make it fun because that's what was hard to do too because you couldn't be close to each other. Right. Um, so people who would people who wouldn't know what Yarl was doing, where did you hold? Because uh, he he would enlist volunteers to come on certain nights. They'd have bicycle mm-hmm. workstations for all the volunteers. They'd have to be spread out so many feet apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was. It looked like this big garage with you know, individual bike workstations with a work stand and all that sort of stuff for uh, people to be physically distanced safely and have a good time working. Mm-hmm. And didn't you have disco nights? Was there a disco ball one night? I had music nights. I had movie nights. I set up a huge screen with projector to watch movies. Right. And Pee Wee's Big Adventure was on there <laughs> for one. His bike got stolen, right? Yeah, the bike exactly. movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the key was to have it as fun as possible. And I think that worked out. I mean, I didn't think six foot feet was enough. So I made it more like 15 to 20 feet between right. each yeah. workstation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it all worked. So, you know, everyone wore more masks. They were distanced. We got donation, donated beer from Ninkazi. And, and so people had something good to drink when they, when they could. And it was awesome. It worked out really good. Nice. And yeah. how, how did the bikes get distributed to the kids? We, uh, so actually mainly Dewan and I did most of that. And so we'd come, we would, you know, work with the groups. We got everything laid out to what their needs were. Um, so we knew like, you know, there's going to be 15 kids bikes at this size. And so we made piles and then, and then we'd take them actually deliver them to the nonprofits. Okay. And then we would actually, and then the nonprofits would then dole them out to the kids and make sure they had a helmet and a bike. Right. Um, our goal this year is to do a helmet, a, a, a helmet, a bike and a lock. So we're working on that right now and get that initiative going. Nice. Cause we start again in March. Oh, <laughs> so, do you really? Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Collection days in March to get the bikes to kids in June so and, they can use it all summer. And where do you get your bikes from people whose kids have outgrown bikes or? Exactly. Okay. We have what we, our, our, whatever our moniker or whatever is turn dusty bikes into shiny smiles. So we, you got old bikes in your garage, bring them to us. We don't care how old it is, how right. new it is. Right. Just bring it to us. Cool. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah. Well, as you can tell, Jarl's a pretty busy guy. <laughs> Thankful that his wife has a full-time job working as a teacher. Yep. And totally. uh, everybody's uh, being educated and doing the educating from home, right, out in Eugene. Yep. Still, yeah. thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully. It's a good thing Jarl <laughs> is uh, computer literate because he's been able to set his son Finn up uh, with the wicked computer system and uh, Janine. Totally. With her computer system yep. to uh, help the kids. Now I'm getting her student teacher set up with a second monitor. No way. That was today's job. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're, and and yeah. her student teacher is probably working from her home or his home? Exactly. Yep. Wow. You imagine doing you make this it work, like right? 20, 20 years ago when, or 25 years ago when the internet didn't, wasn't available. It'd be impossible. Yeah. It'd be totally impossible. Is that Finn coming in? No, Janine. Oh. Janine. <laughs> She's coming to get you for supper? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I'll, I'll uh, we'll start uh, closing this off and I uh, just want to thank uh, Jarl Berg for great time. We used to uh, do this uh Every couple of weeks, we have to get back to doing that. I know you and I have uh, videoed a couple of times this week, three times, I think, video conference. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know <laughs> yeah. So, and, and when we used to do this with the telemark skiers, you know, we had guys from Colorado, around Ontario, you. One night we had uh, Anthony Hunter from uh, Australia on here. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. That so, was fun. Yeah. So, we, we have to try and get back to that because it's getting to near the end of ski season. 
in uh, certain right. parts of the world. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, I want to thank you very much for being a guest of uh, the second episode of the Skippy Report. And thank you. Uh, I appreciate I it. Look forward to uh, to visit you guys. And live feed. I gotta send. I gotta get you on the uh, when oh, yeah, top of sure. the mountains. I yeah. can take you down the hill. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> last weekend, Yarl, because our ski resorts are closed here in Ontario. However, you can cross country ski and snowshoe at resorts. Yep. But you can't downhill <laughs> ski. So Yarl took me for a virtual ski down hoodoo. <laughs> All, right, All right. You have a great evening. Thanks, Yarl. Thank you. Bye. You too. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Skippy Report. Check back later in a couple of weeks for the next episode.